BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to new listeners. What is I Seem Fun, the diary of Jen Car- God damn it. This is exactly what it is. I couldn't even say my own name. And I almost just hit pause so that I could edit this out. But screw it. That's what this podcast is. I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, is a solo podcast done by me, comedian Jen Kirkman. You may remember me from Chelsea Lately or Drunk History. You may have read my books. You may have seen my Netflix specials. I'm going to die alone and just keep living. This is where I go to say whatever the hell I want. There doesn't have to be punchlines. It doesn't have to be politically pleasing to any particular group. It doesn't have to be funny. It can be sincere. I've cried on this podcast before. I've definitely been funny on this podcast before. I've been informative. I've been stupid. I've just been a human. This is where you can go to for free, listen to a performer, riff for an hour, about what went on in their mind, in their world, in their life that week. I started this podcast in 2013 when I was a writer and performer on the Chelsea Lately Show. Because of how fun that show was and I was doing things like Drunk History, a lot of people thought I was a very fun party girl. And so they were coming to my shows drunk and screaming things out and I realized this is out of control. People need to know that I seem fun, but I'm really not fun. I'm, I like to do dumb things like stay home on Friday night and make lists. And I like to not be wasted and shouting things out if I'm in the audience somewhere. I wanted a podcast for people to find the real me. And it's been one of the most fun things that I've ever done in my creative life. So, If you start listening to the podcast and you feel lost and you feel like it's a conversation that you're not part of, that's kind of what it feels like. But if you stick with it, you'll start to understand that it's random and you can be part of it anytime you want. I will read you a review from the Onion AV Club. What makes I Seem Fun funny is Kirkman's inherent knack for cultivating conflict, even talking into a microphone in a room by herself. Whether she's dissecting a negative iTunes review from an angry Christian or seriously considering a class action suit against Robin Thicke for being gross, Kirkman is eternally embattled, but she tempers her cynicism with sweetness, and more often than not, she's right. Get ready to step inside to I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. Welcome. I seem fun. I seem fun. The Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. Oh God, I Seem Funners, I need your help. I need to, I got, I got banned from making ads and boosts on Facebook and Instagram and but while I am working on appealing that, which I have six times, I got to figure it out. I need help for my Phoenix show. The numbers are a blumbers. I need more people there. If you haven't bought tickets, please do buy them in advance. Everybody's worried. Everybody's worried. JenKirkman.com. Click tour. 
uh, once you get to jenkirkman.com or go to jenkirkman.com slash tour. All my other tour dates are just kicking along just fine. There's something about Phoenix. I don't know what's going on. I really uh, played there many times, had great, great turnout. So tell a friend if they don't know I'm going to be there, buy a friend a ticket. Don't just buy tickets. Don't go buy tickets if you're not coming, though. That's not what I mean. But if you can help me out, let people know, retweet it, do whatever. Let's get asses in seats. Thank you. Saturday, February 2nd at 7 p.m., just one show only at Copper Blues Live. All new material. I'll be selling and signing books after the show. It's going to be fun. I know at the last minute people will show up, but why not help me out? So call to arms. Anyone out there in I Seem Funland, hook a gal up. Tell someone in Phoenix to go see me. Buy them a ticket. Buy your own. Get your ass there. If you're in any other part of Arizona, I promise you I am not coming there elsewhere this year. Take the drive. It's a nice one. See you in Phoenix. I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 270. Oh, my God, everybody. So, you guys, uh, I'm recording this, as I always do in my home, but I set up my camera or phone, whatever you call it. It's a cam- Phones have cameras now. And I'm doing this on not Facebook Live. What's the other one? Instagram. Instagram Live. So people can watch. And, you know, people are tuning in as I'm talking. And I'm not going to have the chance to explain to them that they're watching a live recording of my podcast. So it's just a lot for me because I can't control what's going on over here, which is going on as I talk to you guys, my faithful listeners of five years. And this is a lot for me to not have to stop every second and explain to everybody new that's watching what they're watching. Is there a way, wait a minute, is there a way to put text up here so that it's just running across so that when people tune in, they can see? No, there isn't, is there? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. All right. We'll do some business up front. We'll do some business. Fucking. I will be in Boston. At the Wilbur Theater on, oh, I'm not supposed to be announcing this live yet. <laughs> Who cares? On Friday, September 13th, and New York City, Brooklyn at the Bell House. On Wednesday, September 11th. Never forget, don't forget that I have shows then. If you join my newsletter, jenkirkman.com, click tour. You can join the newsletter. Get a reminder on Friday morning, February 1st, when those tickets go on sale. They will go on sale that morning. You will get an email. You can click the link. Uh, to buy tickets and you will have them so far in advance because those shows are going to sell out. Don't be fucking crazy. I am from Boston. Nobody knows it. Nobody. I get DMs all the time. When are you ever coming to Boston? What? My placenta. I don't have placenta. What do babies have when they're born? Their mother. My whatever. My afterbirth is in Boston. I'm from there. What do you mean when am I ever coming? I started there 22 years ago in 1997. I have been touring there the longest of all the longs. So welcome new people to me. When will I ever, uh, when will anyone ever get it all at once? Um, Okay. In the merch store, we've got new uh, merchandise. We finally have the I Meditated Today motherfucker design. As you know, it can be a t-shirt, a tank top, a hoodie, a pillow, a tote bag. It looks really cool in the tote bag if you get all black one. And you can bring it to your yoga class. And I have two versions, one that actually says motherfucker and one that says mother asterisk, you know, F asterisk 
So you don't have to have a swear word, even though we all know what it says. So if you go to my merch store, and that's how you get there, is you go to jenkirkman.com and then click shop. And then once you're in there, there's a link to the store. And again, once you're in there, you can get I Meditated Today, motherfucker, on anything you want. I just got myself one on a big pillow, and that will now be my meditation pillow. There you go. All right. So if you buy tickets to any of my shows, please tweet about it, Facebook about it. Use hashtag JKTOR2019. Again, I will be in Phoenix Friday. Nope. (laughs) Saturday, February 2nd at uh, uh, 7 p.m. at Copper Blues Live. Really cool place. Just one show. The hilarious Tony Tripoli will be opening for me there. So see you there in Phoenix. One show Saturday. I keep wanting to say Friday. Um, the shutdown is over. Well, it is now. I mean, this will go up on Wednesday. Everyone keeps saying it's over, but I'm looking at, I mean, I guess I I was trying to look at, at the internet and, um, everyone's like, yeah, bam, slam. Ooh, ooh, it's over. All these memes, Nancy Pelosi, she's a raptor. She's like, ah, and and I'm like, wait, is it over? I, I don't remember him signing something. I know he tweeted. He's like, listen, I didn't... He basically tweeted, like, I didn't cave. I I wish you guys would listen to me. It's like me asking people to join my newsletter. He's like, I wish you guys would read my words about the border wall. Anyway, I'm so fucking happy. I was really afraid that every plane in the sky was going to crash into each other. And I thought this... And of course, I bring it back to myself. I thought this is the greatest irony of all time. Because as you know, I used to have the world's biggest fear of flying. I took a fear of flying course in the late 90s called Logan's Heroes, which was at Logan Airport in Boston. Rest in peace, Dr. Al Forgione, the amazing psychiatrist who taught the class who used to smoke cigarettes indoors, drink coffee, and eat hamburgers. Sorry, hamburgers as he was teaching the class. And as he always would promote, uh, you know, health is very important to keeping a healthy, functioning nervous system. Smoking, coffee, hamburgers, no good. No good for people with panic who are about to get on a plane. And this one woman in class goes, well, doctor, why are you smoking and drinking coffee? He goes, I ain't the one who's afraid. I loved it. Kids, I'm from a time when you could smoke indoors. And when you took a fear of flying class and you went to the graduation class, which was flying from Logan Airport to LaGuardia, LaGuardia <laughs> sorry, You could just walk up to the counter, pay cash. You didn't show ID. We didn't have, we didn't have 9-11 back then, folks. We just had the occasional hijacking. That was what, it was just like, I hope nobody hijacks the plane and I don't end up in another country. And uh, anyway, so I was really nervous about that and, and I took the fear of flying course. It didn't work for me because as the doctor said, I think you have other anxiety issues. I said, I sure do. And that's why I always tell the millennials, calm down, you're going to be great. It takes a long time to figure out that you have anxiety because you were just a child. If you're 20, you were just a child 10 years ago. I'm 44, so I wasn't a child 10 years ago, and I wasn't even a child 10 years before that. You know what I mean? I've had a lot of time to be an adult where I go, oh, you're processing, you're processing. So if you're filled with anxiety at 25, don't listen to the bullshit that people tell you. This is the best time of your life. It is in some ways. Your metabolism's great for the most part. I know everybody's different. Um, you may not have the, the, the gray hairs, the wrinkles. It, it's really just a vain 
thing that we're thinking of, you know, and, and also we think it's the best time of our lives because we look back in pictures and the beautiful thing about the brain is unless it's intense trauma, we really don't for the most part, remember the bad times, the struggles, right? So when we look back at these pictures of us, when we're younger, we're like, what was I so worried about? Well, well, now you don't remember anymore because it's been 25 years. It's not because we're heartless older people who are out of touch. It's simply just this how the brain works. So if you're full of anxiety in your 20s, start working on it now. It will go away, and then you'll be rocking, rocking it when you're my age. So I went to therapy. I did this. I did that. I had a prescription for Clonopin. I would take it when I flew, and I actually – you know, thank God I don't have the disease of addiction with drugs because I was able to take clonopin on my way to the airport every time I had to fly. And then you start flying enough and you realize, okay, you start, I conditioned myself to now I'm just relaxed when I get to the airport as though I had taken a pill and I haven't. And now, I mean, I read a great book by the guy that wrote that book about quitting smoking called The Easy Way to Quit Smoking. He wrote one, I think it's called The Easy Way to Enjoy Air Travel. And he basically said, look, if you're going to be afraid of the plane crashing when you're in it, then ask yourself when you're walking around, why aren't you afraid that every plane is going to fall out of the sky, right? It's really about our own loss of control. So after all of this therapy and pills and breathing and meditation, and you know, now I live a just a totally different life, like free of free of air travel anxiety, mostly, you know, the errant panic attack can happen on an airplane, but now I know how to self-soothe and I've got a dissolvable clonopin. Should I take it to that level? I thought, won't it be ironic that Donald fucking Trump won't reopen the government to fund a border wall? We'll get into that in a minute. I don't normally talk politics on this podcast, but today is a monumental day. So won't it be ironic that the FAA is completely stretched? We were 30% underemployed. Think about that when everything's back up to normal and running. We're already 30% understaffed as it is. And we've got air traffic controllers who are not getting paid. People are losing sleep. People are working another job on the side to make money. <clears throat> and they're in charge of planes not crashing into each other. And I'm not saying that these people are incompetent and they can't uh, work on no sleep. But after a month, it starts to wear on you. And they had less and less people there. And it's harder and harder. Like if you had to coordinate an emergency landing. You know, not every single flight pattern is going to go exactly as planned. Even not emergency, emergency, like that woman whose head got sucked sucked out of a Southwest plane, which I say to people all the time and they go, what are you talking about? I'm like, last year, a woman's head was sucked out of the plane on Southwest. They're like, no, it wasn't. That's how shit show everything is that we don't even, that story came and went just like, just like a piece of lint in the sky. And it was, it was a death from an airline incident. I mean, it's almost better in a way for, for the mass hysteria of people who don't like to fly that most people missed that story. If you didn't check the news that day, you didn't see it the next day. Um, of course, the pilot was a woman and what she did to land the plane where the air pressure was in the cabin was compromised because a window was open because a woman's head got sucked out. What she did was way more heroic than Sully. Will they make a movie about her? Who knows? 
They'll probably turn it into a man. Tom Hanks will play him too. And everyone, they'll call it Sully too. And everyone will be like, Sully landed two planes. It'll, it'll just get lost in history. So I thought, won't the irony be that now that I am finally a fearless flyer, I will be in a plane going to one of my stupid gigs to do my stupid comedy. And I'm doing a gig in Arlington, Virginia in two weeks, which is, as you know, Capitol Hill, D.C., right there, you know, right over the bridge. Four shows at the Arlington Draft House, everybody. Get tickets, jenkirkman.com, click tour. They're on sale now, all new material. One of my favorite places to perform. I usually do a lot of riffing, so if you want to see some real new stuff, like just thought of it that day, kind of political stuff, that's the place you're going to see me do it. Plus my other jokes about life and all that. So it's something for everyone. And I'm uh, selling copies of my book after the show and signing them. But I thought on my way to D.C., I will be in the biggest air disaster because, of course, in my fantasy, it's, a, it's the biggest air disaster. Believe me, Jen Kirkman was on it. So I just had that feeling. Now, in the past, when I would have one of those feelings of anxiety, I would believe it. And I would think, um, yeah, I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely uh, correct about this. This feeling is a psychic gut feeling. I'm totally right. And it never was. That's just called anxiety. So when the FAA, I woke up to it this morning, um, we're shutting down LaGuardia because too many people are calling in sick. We don't have enough of anything that we need. And then other airports followed suit. Once that starts happening, The way of life in America, as we know, stops. Everybody gets on fucking planes, even the poorest among us. I know because I was as broke as a joke and still very often had to get on airplanes for family things, for work, for whatever. If I saw on Twitter, somebody wrote, well, that affects the 1%. Like there are these young people just getting into politics who have been so indoctrinated into this 1%. Like, the reason it's called the 1% is because it's 1% of the population, which isn't a lot. And that's the whole point, is that 1% of the population has all the money. But to stretch it into only the 1% fly on airplanes, that's not a thing, honeys. You, you need to cool it with saying 1% every five minutes. Oh, that only affects the rich. A lot of working class people, uh, I don't mean necessarily the middle class people, let's say, or lower middle class. People fly on fucking planes. The people who do the job of flying the planes and your, your uh, flight attendants uh, make less than 50000 a year. That this, the, not, the, not just, it's not just the 1% that's involved in all aspects of air travel, you fucking kids. Oh, God bless you kids. You say shit. In my day, if I said stupid shit, no one heard it. I just said it to someone and they'd smack me upside the head and go, what are you talking about the 1% with the airplanes? I don't know. I'm just young and stupid. Well, thank God there's not an internet where you can broadcast an opinion and then Russian trolls pick it up and, uh, and then it gets amplified. Okay, so I was freaking out, of course, um, thinking this is what he wants. He wants the chaos. This, this notion that Mr. Trump, they're starting to, um, you know, the FAA is starting to uh, shut down airports. Good, good. Like, he doesn't care. 
He said that we could go to the grocery store and get a credit. Like he just said, no, it's, and it's even the way he says it, just like, no, no, like it's a fact. Like, no, no, I took care of it. You go to the grocery store, you say it's the shutdown. Are you kidding? Have you been to a grocery store? It's a night of the living dead working there, first of all. People are like, what? Like, I don't even know. Not because of the job of someone who works at a grocery I Listen, I worked at Roach Brothers in Needham, Massachusetts from 1988 to 1992. I was voted fastest cashier on the express checkout lane. This is before scan technology. So don't come at me with the 1%. I'm not in the 1%. Of course, I do have a sequined pillow, but that's, listen, you can get, you can get that at Pier 1 if you have an extra 30 bucks. And maybe you don't. And if you don't, you just go into Pier 1 and you say, Jen Kirkman said, because of the shutdown, I could have a free sequin pillow. Just trust me. They took care of it. Anyway, so as if anyone is just going to let you do that, right? Uh, person of color going to a grocery store, you know, the white woman with the phone, like that meme going around where the woman just, she just sees a black person in the park having a picnic. She calls, she's got her sunglasses on. I'm calling the police. You think that cashier is going to go, oh, oh yeah, black, I just take all the, take all the groceries because Trump said so. Or, or do you really, that's not, we don't have a, this isn't the general store. Like this isn't uh, George Bailey, you know, who was, and savings and loan, giving everything to everyone on credit. So, and then of course, as you remember, he said two months ago that you had to show ID to get cereal. So like, I have my ID. Finally, I remember to bring my ID. It's always in my, you know, when I go out at night, I put my license in with that little purse. Well, I finally remember to put my ID in my big shopping purse. And now I don't have any money to pay for the cereal. Could you please let me just go through? So I guess everything is back up and running. I'm, you know, I'm checking Twitter. It's going a mile a minute. Um, but I, I don't really have the news of what exactly made him change his mind. I mean, I know Nancy Pelosi put him in a chokehold, but I'm saying I don't know if it really was the airports or if it was, I mean, I have a feeling he just really wanted to give that state of the union, you know? Um, at first I thought he didn't care when she was like, I don't think you should do a state of the union then. And he was like, yeah, you're right. I thought, yeah, you know what? He probably doesn't want to do one because it's a lot of pressure, you know, and it's a lot of memorizing and reading and you know he starts sundowning at the end of the day and and I think he's on pills and in his dentures and he probably was like you know what it'll be a relief but I think he wants to use it as a chance to say crazy shit about the wall which again I live I'm here in California where my extended family believes that thousands of rapists and murderers are coming over the border every day. Not one of them has said, are you okay? So what does that tell you? We don't really believe this. We're just angry. We want to put something up. It's so childish. This is not how uh, terrorism gets in through the fucking border. Most of the immigration problems are people that are already here on expired visas. Those are white people too. And I'm not going to get into it. You're either an adult with an adult brain or you're a moron. I mean, that's the two, I was going to say a child, but I don't want to insult children. I think even children get this. Okay. So Roger Stone, what a fucking baby. So, all right, let me just, let me just take a moment to compose my thoughts. Oh boy. We have a new sponsor for Valentine's day baked by Melissa. Oh boy. I am so mad at them. 
I'm serious. I said, don't send me anything. I already know your product. I love it. But I'm so glad they did because I actually get to tell you what it's like after it's shipped, but which is amazing. But I ate so many cupcakes. Oh my God. This Valentine's Day, send your loved ones the perfect gift with Baked by Melissa. Go to bakedbymelissa.com slash fun today. That's baked by Melissa. B-A-K-E-D-B-Y-M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot com slash fun today. Sign up, use promo code fun, and you're going to get 15% off your next order. This is exclusively for podcast listeners. That is 15% off at bakedbymelissa.com slash fun, then use promo code fun. They are bite-sized treats in an array of unique handcrafted flavors. They're easy to gift, easy to love, and deliver a wow factor in every bite. Why are they so awesome? Guys, I'm not lying. And you know that I try to be vegan and gluten-free and sugar-free when I can. I couldn't. I couldn't when I got the box. I always go to Baked by Melissa when I'm at the airport. I always have cravings for like cakey sweet things. And what I love about it is their cupcakes are teeny, teeny, like the size of a 50 cent piece. (laughs) Is that too old of a reference for you kids? It's like a bigger quarter. And it's amazing because even the little frosting tastes different than the cupcake. Like even this tiny thing, there's so many different flavors in there. And oh my God. So I said to them, oh, I've already tried your stuff. You don't have to send me any. I get this giant box of awesomeness. And the box is beautiful. It's so cute. All the little things arranged, all different flavors. I literally ate them all. And they were moist. And it did not seem like it had been shipped at all. And it also had been sitting in my freaking package room for a day because I was out of town when it actually the day it arrived. So it is going to be fresher than anything you ever sent. It's not crumbly. It's so damn good. And they're adorable. So once you take them out of the packaging, you can spread it out on a little plate just to make it look cute. And it's like, it's each, it's so bite-sized that nobody's going to, you know, be mad at you for giving it to them unless they're like me and they eat the whole thing. Okay. Every bite-sized cupcake is stuffed, iced, and topped entirely by hand. And they have gluten-free ones too. Baked by Melissa's cookies only They only use the most delicious ingredients like Hershey's fudge, Oreo cookies, and the best cookie butter you've ever tasted to create the perfect bite. They made them small so you can try them all. They created their bite-sized cupcakes so people could taste more flavors without the post-dessert guilt trip. Most flavors are 50 calories or less. Baked by Melissa has eight great original flavors always available, seasonal collections, a new mini cupcake of every month. Baked by Melissa ships nationwide, same-day delivery, and free in-store pickup are available in Manhattan. They offer one- or two-day shipping, and you can order ahead of time. Just pick your delivery date. Please note, the last day for standard shipping nationally for Valentine's Day is February 12th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. So here's their special Valentine's Day flavors. I have tried them. They're all good. Milk chocolate, red velvet, strawberry, made with real strawberries, and buttery streusel, vanilla cream, and more. Gluten-free, they offer gluten-free favorites that are perfect for every day. Their unique Valentine's Day flavors are also available as gluten-free. Oh my God, they're so great. Anyway, this Valentine's Day, send your loved ones. And it's such a good gift to send like a non-romance person on Valentine's Day. Like if you just want to acknowledge someone and it's not weird like sending them flowers. I think it's such a great fun gift. I loved it. I loved getting them. I ain't mad at them after all because it was so damn good. But, it, you know, I'm trying to lose a few. And, uh, I again, I didn't have to eat 48 cupcakes. <laughs> and also, that was actually what was so amazing. I got on the scale the next morning. There was no change. There was no change. Oh, my God, I love them. 
Send your loved ones the perfect gift with Baked by Melissa. Go to bakedbymelissa.com slash fun. Sign up. Use promo code, promo code fun. 15% off your next order. Okay. So Roger Stone gets arrested this morning. It's so beautiful. And what's so great, I mean, this isn't great, but the FBI is not getting paid because they're part of the government shutdown. So they show up. Imagine not getting paid for work. And they're like, can you be there at five in the morning, pre-dawn raid? You're like, because that's not just you get out of bed at 5 a.m. That's you are in your gear. You're at the address. You're ready to go. You're in your riot gear. You've had some coffee. Maybe you're getting up at four that day. Maybe you can't sleep. You're so paranoid. How, what does it look like to be the FBI agent the night before a raid? I mean, I'm assuming... Maybe they're at the headquarters mapping it out all night so there wasn't a go-to-bed the night before. I probably sound like an idiot, but I would like to picture they go to bed. Honey, I'm going to go to bed at 8 tonight. I want to get 8 hours. I'm getting up at 4 a.m. For what? I can't tell you. You know, it's one of the people that we're going to be arresting. Oh, honey, I hope it's Jared Kushner. It's not Kushner. Fuck, I've said too much. Let's stop naming names. Oh, is it Ivanka? Stop naming names. I'm going to, you're going to eventually name the right one. And I'm going to, please, honey, this is very, this is very confidential. Okay. So he goes to bed. Was he get up around four? And he's like, oh, I mean, does he have that thing where he's just set four alarms? Like one for 3.45, one for 3.55. Four. There's like me going to the airport for a gig when the flight's at 5 in the morning. 3.45 a.m., not even that, 2.30 2 a.m., you know, 2.45. Uh, need an hour to get to the airport. Going to leave at 4. Anyway, so they get there. They're running to the door. Everyone's all up in arms. How did CNN know about it? Donald Trump going to get more fucking people killed with his stupid insinuation that somehow CNN was in on it, like that was some kind of, like this years-long FBI investigation is somehow, see, see this, his conspiracy theories aren't even detailed. They just break apart because he just says things out loud that if you're dumb and crazy, you think, oh, that makes sense, CNN, FBI, three letters each in on it, I know what he's saying, and then you make up your own. He doesn't even have to have a conspiracy theory. He, I mean, at least the people with the moon landing, they're like, see that shadow over there? And I mean, they really put a lot of detail into their bullshit. He just goes, CNN, FBI, YMCA, caca, poo poo. And everyone's like, totally. Because Roger Stone said in an interview, every Friday, I assume I'm going to jail. He knows he's going to be indicted. This has been wildly hinted at. And I'm sure that the news was camped out because of that and because there was so much chatter about the very huge possibility that he's next. Maybe someone was camped out outside Kushner's house too, just in case. It's not that weird when a news organization has maybe an inkling based on investigative journalism, what's going to happen? And they're waiting, I don't know, are they across the street? What time did they get there? That's what I want to know. Like in their sleeping bags in the trees. So 
FBI, very polite. And again, they're not getting paid. Imagine that you're waking up at 4 a.m., hitting the alarm, going, well, at least I'm getting, oh, fuck. But there was a rumor going around on Twitter that one of the FBI agents said to Roger Stone, this one's on the house, meaning like, oh, I enjoyed this, buddy. Yeah, we're in a shutdown and I'm not getting paid to go to work, but I fucking am really enjoying this. So 12 guys, I think it's 12 people, they get to his house. They knock on the door. FBI, FBI, we have a warrant. God, that was really good how I just reenacted that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself a sound design podcast award. Not even a nomination. I'm going straight to award. FBI, warrant, warrant. I love that they're so impatient. Like, dudes, it is 5 a.m., although he probably was standing at the door. <laughs> just like, is this the morning? I love a pre-dawn raid. It's just such an extra little fuck you, isn't it? And because we're talking about people who committed treason, and for those of you who aren't interested in this, I'm just upset about the election. It's not the election, you wackos. We're, we're, we're not talking about, yes, this is when the big operation took place around the 2016 election. There was a disruption, cooperation, conspiracy, uh, conspiracy, um, not collusion. It's not the word, uh, oh, for fuck's sake, whatever the word is, uh, conspiracy to commit fraud against the United States. So conspiring with a foreign enemy, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Obviously it was, again, we don't even know the goal is to win the election because they just wanted him to disrupt her presidency enough so that she couldn't get anything done and he could start Trump TV. That would have been way more effective and they probably wouldn't have gotten caught. They did not want to actually be in office, but it was conspiracy to interfere with the election and blah, blah, blah. So, but it's still going on, if that makes sense. Nothing to do with elections, but that's why our own president wants to leave NATO. That's why he doesn't want to join the Paris Agreement. That's why he's ripped troops out of Syria, not in a way that, uh, fine, if you don't want war around the globe, I get it. But there's a way where you don't put our allies in danger to take troops out of a, a region without destabilizing it. So everything he's doing is Putin's fucking dream, right? So we are literally being run by a guy who just doesn't even know enough to give a shit about geopolitical things in America Okay, so that's, that's why it upsets me. Anyone involved in this is a traitor to America. And that's where I get, oh, beautiful. That's where I get really patriotic. So that's why, you know, in a general way, do I like a police state? Do I like cops coming to your door, knocking it down? No, I don't always love that. But when it's a little fucking Roger Stone traitor, you little Florida little douchebag, and they're knocking on the door and you piss your pants getting up that morning. Ah, I love it. And they're tough guys. Not like you. You got tattooing Nixon on your back. You didn't even have balls to put it on your chest. You can't see it. A tattoo of Nixon. How uncool is that? That's just straight up uncool. Anyway, he complained later on. They the FBI came to my house so early. Like he was saying it was, they were so, he said they were very polite, 
but it was so and his lawyer this is unbelievable it's like it's actually very believable it's what the fbi does it's what they do when they have a warrant for your arrest because you're about to get fucked you're about to face a trial of the century so they bang on your door they're in riot gear to protect themselves you freaks they're not there to scare you they're there to protect themselves especially people like Roger Stone who know this is coming. Who knows? He could have booby-trapped the place. Too stupid to do it. Not that he should have. Okay, so, and then, yeah, they got to act like tough guys because they're tough guys and they're taking the bad guy in. And this isn't fair. And then they took all my files. Yeah, because you you waived your rights at that point. You're a suspect. Bye. Also, no one even needs to take your fucking stupid files. All you idiots were using uh, inse- not in- insecure phones. Your phone's like, do I look fat? You're like, stop it. I'm trying to text. Unsecured phones, unsecured Wi-Fi. I mean, just shut up. Stop your whining. Stop being little baby bitch boys. Just stop it. You're grown men and you're acting again like children, like little babies, but, but not cute, like not in a way that makes me want to hug you and help you, but the, the, uh, just a demon child where you go, you know, I actually don't care if the FBI takes you. I'm not going to fight for you. Please take my demon child away. So I just find it so interesting that all these guys think they're so tough and they're just being proven day after day to be, it's just all posturing. It's such mob shit. Anyway, it made my day, but it was also like we already knew. You know, I want something to happen that I didn't know was coming. Like, I don't even know. Not anything terrifying, but just that guy's involved. You know, like we know already who everyone is. Um, I'm going to need things to go a little faster. Okay, I never talk about politics this long. But again, is it even politics at this point? It's just such pop culture theater. I mean, I really... Maybe because I don't work on a show like Chelsea lately anymore. Maybe because I am older and I have like my Twitter settings and I just check what I check. But I literally don't see a ton of celebrity gossip happening. Does that make sense? I, it really is all like these are the celebrities now. Like these are the new Kardashians, even though the Kardashians are still running around. And Chloe today wore a hat that said Kanye for president. Honey, don't even joke about that, please. We have some responsibility. So... So I don't even feel like it's overly political to be like, this is what Roger Stone is up to. Someone wrote me a paragraph. It's just privilege and he has to complain. Oh, good. I thought somebody was was taking me down. I'm, I'm checking the live um, reactions. And I'm like, if someone told me I have privilege, and that's why I was excited to see Roger Stone go down. Oh, these babies. Anyway, then, then they, okay, so he pays a $250,000 bail. Just like, here's a check, no problem. I mean, it was like I went to the dentist today and I said, hey, there's this line, I have these two lines on one of my teeth, two of my teeth. And I said, "It. I know it's not, but it looks like this black line on my gum and it's sort of embarrassing. And my dentist was like, yeah, that's because your gum is... We, we gave you these big crowns five years ago and your gum has receded a little bit. So you're just seeing like part of the old tooth, but it's not technically black. It's just what it looks like. I'm like, well, I don't care. I'm not going to walk around smiling and saying to everyone, it's not technically this. So he's like, well, then we have to do these two cosmetic crowns and we'll match like where your new gum line is and you don't have receding gums and it's fine. And I'm like, okay, okay. 
I get the bill. It's three grand. And I'm like, what? And I haven't had the procedure yet. But there was just that moment that I was like, you know what? I'll opt for the payment plan. There was something in my ego that was like, wow, I'm doing the payment plan. But I think it's, you know, even if you could plunk down three grand, like why? Why if you have to? But I guess him just plunking down 250000 is like me, like technically it would hurt. Um, and I would have to, you know, sell some extra merchandise. But it could make that work. And, and I know to my old self even, I'd be like, holy fuck, that's so much money. So to me, plunking down 250 and just being like, whatevs, I'm out on bail is crazy to me. Like this, that's the 1% people. And so then they interviewed this woman and she looked like a pretend person. Like she was just waiting there, waiting to be interviewed. Sort of like an Ann Coulter type, like long blonde hair, big glasses, just standing there. They're like, we're going to interview this woman. Ma'am, ma'am, what do you think of today's indictment? She's like, I think it's awful. Roger Stone's my neighbor here in Florida. He's never done anything wrong. It's like, maybe he's a great neighbor, but he was also conspiring with Julian Assange. Like, I don't know what my neighbor's doing, although my neighbor knows what I'm doing because I left my apartment the other day and I run into this new, is new guy in the hallway and I'm very upset that this woman, Terry, who I used to love in the building, uh, seems to not be here anymore because she had eyes and ears everywhere. She knew everyone's business and if I ran into her in the elevator, she would tell me I knew wh- everything that was going on. So this guy moves into the condo and he's, uh, I get in the elevator, he goes, oh, hey, you're Jen, the comedian, right? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I never get recognized. I mean, I do and I don't. But I don't like getting recognized in my own building. I'm like, yes. And then he was just like, oh, yeah, I know this person that know, uh, we have mutual friends or this and that. I'm like, too much, too much. Don't want you to know anything, right? So when I conspire with Russia, when I'm just like, you know what? I want some of that money. I want some of that whatever everyone's getting. I want a piece of the pie. When I start conspiring, Russia, if you're listening, make me an offer. He's going to go, she's great. Uh, ran into her in the elevator, and she really seemed like a good good person. You know, you don't know what your fucking neighbor is doing. Anyway, she's a complete ass. And uh, so he comes out, and it's like, it's, it's definitely either drugs or a mental disorder or just such intense fear that he has to completely revamp his mind in that moment and convince himself that he's innocent. And he just comes out and gives the the like Nixon peace symbols, like, I got this. And it's like, yes, you paid bail, you're out. But now your life, welcome to your life in hell. Welcome to being, not giving up what they want. Like Mueller knows what he wants you to say because he knows what you did and he knows the right answer. And if you refuse, he, this guy, he was talking biblical. He's like, I will not disabuse the vows that I took to the president. He was, it literally, it looked like if you just weren't half paying attention, you'd be like, this guy's renewing his vows with someone. Where's the, where's the woman or man that he's renewing his vows with? Where are, where are they? He was just like, my relationship with Trump, this guy must be, there must be some mob that's going to come down on him if he gives up Trump. But that's where it's like, hey, it's witness protection time, buddy. It's WPT, white people time and witness protection time. Okay. Hey, remember I was telling you guys about Stitch Fix? Well, I got my Stitch Fix in the mail and I loved it and I love how this whole thing works. So I got a pair of like black jeans. They're kind of stretchy, but they're not jeggings. They're they're great. They're me per- I, I asked them to put together 
for me, like a little airplane edit, as they call it. And they sent me a bunch of different items of clothing. I kept a few. I sent the rest back in this really easy to return, already prepaid, pre-labeled pouch, dropped it off at a mail center, was like, bye-bye. And I'm keeping the ones I want to keep. And they were not expensive at all. So Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. Just go to stitchfix.com fun. Tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each item. It's great because you do fill out a survey, but it's not annoying. It's like so that they can get you exactly what you need. And it's S-T-I-T-C-H fix.com. You will be paired with your very own personal stylist who handpicks the items to send right to your door. Then you try them on at home, pay only for what you love and return the rest. It's all free. Shipping exchanges and returns are all free. No subscription required. You can sign up and receive scheduled shipments or you can just get your fix whenever you want. You got a wedding to go to, you do, you do up a box and say, send me everything I might need for that. Job interview, same thing. Stitch Fix's styling fee is only 20 bucks, which is applied toward anything that you keep from your shipment. So get started now, stitchfix.com slash fun, and you will get an extra 25% off when you keep all the items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash fun to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash fun. And we love our other sponsor, BioClarity. I shared one of my masks that I got last time with someone I know, and she loves it as well, but they're great. Take the first step to healthier, more radiant skin by going to bioclarity.com, B-I-O-C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. Right now, my listeners, when you purchase a skincare routine, you'll get a free clarifying mask with your order. That's a $25 value for free, and the mask is awesome. But you need to enter my code FUN at checkout. So go to bioclarity.com and use my code FUN at checkout to get your free clarifying mask when you purchase a routine. So here's the deal. You can't just wash your face with one thing. You do have to have a little skin routine. People always ask me, why does your skin look good? Because I do a million things to it. I've got a skin routine. So here's the deal. It's a garden-given, skin-loving beauty brand that wants to help you achieve beautifully, naturally glowing skin. It's like healthy eating for your body, BioClarity does for your face. Their green skincare line offers, green is in the environment. It's, you're not putting green goop on your face. You get that, right? Offers essential products to help clear up and calm your skin or keep it balanced on track with daily nutrients. You first select the skincare routine that you, that you want to use when you go there, right? So I actually kind of like the clear skin routine because during certain hormonal times I might break out, so I switch to my clear skin routine. It's a three-step regimen that rescues stressed skin, banishing bumps, and erasing redness. You cleanse, treat, and restore. The ascent, then if you want, you can do the essentials routine for normal or dry skin. The three-step regimen that is packed with gentle nutrients that nurture your natural radiance. And again, you get that clarifying mask. It evens skin tone and texture and shrinks the appearance of your pores and it won't overdry your skin. That's what I love. I love when you take off a mask and you're just like, oh, it just, everything looks so tight. I love it. All of their products are 100% vegan, cruelty-free, paraben-free, sulfate-free, and artificial fragrance-free, 100% risk-free, money-back guarantee. I like their Floralux. It's a special form of chlorophyll that nourishes the skin, soothes away blemishes, reduces redness, and makes your skin look more radiant. 
Take the first step to healthier, more radiant skin going to bioclarity.com. And again, for my listeners, when you purchase a skincare routine, you'll get a free clarifying mask with your order. But that's only if you enter fun at checkout. So, all right. So I have a really embarrassing story that really, it hurts my heart to tell this story because it's so vulnerable. Um, I made an ass of myself to Bill Murray a couple weeks ago and it wasn't okay. Okay. I'm obviously not famous. I'm a well-known comedian. I think I have earned the right to say that. Uh, there were times in my life when I was on TV twice a week where I think I was way more well-known. There was a bit of a put your sunglasses on at the airport if you didn't feel like getting recognized. It was like that for a while. That was not my favorite because I, I appreciate the love, but, you know, I'm always concerned with, like, I got to make a living. So I know you love me. Did you buy my book? That, this is how I think. Okay, great. So I make a living now. I'm certainly not famous. And, and you go, I think you're famous. It's not really up to you. There are different echelons in show business. Am I in a movie? No. Am I acting on a TV show? No. Boom, boom right? Status dropping, levels dropping. Um, Bill Murray does not know I exist. And I I met him, so I know that. Um, And I never thought he did. And I never thought we were going to be friends. I know the rumors about him. I know he's a complicated man. I know that he is not the nicest man. I know that he is even maybe inappropriate in relationships he's been in. I know there's been some allegations of abuse and, and things like that. So uh, listen, he was always a comedic hero to me. Caddyshack is one of my favorite movies. My dad is a golf course superintendent. My dad talks like Carl Spackler. My dad dresses like Carl Spackler. I mean, my dad's 80 now, so it's a little less on the nose, but I, the thing he drives around in where he's blowing up gophers. They really do have gopher things like that. The, it's called a go buggy. It's not a, it's like, it's not the golf cart. It's the shitty industrial thing that the greenskeeper rides. I, I, I ride around, I would ride around in that every night and change cups and tea markers with my dad on the, on the greens. Slobs versus snobs is how I grew up. Caddyshack means something to my family. So we watched Caddyshack as a family on Christmas because that's how the Kirkmans do. And my mother was like, oh, my God, I just watched this two weeks ago on TV. But we watched the DVD version. So, you know, when there's dirty parts and boobs, she, I don't remember this on TV. No, Mom, this is the DVD. Oh, my God, I was saying that they show that on TV now? Wow. So my mother is very into the making of Caddyshack, right? So, Jennifer, did you know in this scene when Chevy Chase hits the ball into Bill Murray's garage. They improvised that whole thing. I said, oh, mom, of course I know. I'm a good student of comedy. My dad's asleep on the couch. Meanwhile, this movie is like an homage to my father. He's asleep on the couch. Huh? He's not paying attention anymore. Yeah, just watch the movie, you guys. Like, who cares the analyzation? You know, I tell my mom the story about the writer of the movie who... Never knew that it became such a cult hit. It was such a flop when it came out. And he fell off a cliff in Hawaii, I believe, is how he died. Um, they assume it was suicide. And it, I mean, obviously, people are either prone to suicide or not. But 
certainly the movie being a flop didn't help. So anyway, talking about that, my mother is like, Chevy Chase was so sexy. Now he's just such a jerk. And so I think he was always a jerk. But you're right. He was a sexy jerk. And, you know, of course, we love that scene. Chinch bugs, manganese. Is this your place, Carl? It is awful. Yeah, you know, as an assistant greenskeeper, I'm going to get, uh, get move my way up to a head greenskeeper. You know, I'm, I, I've been reading up, um, you know, things like uh, uh, chinch bungs, manganese. You know, most people don't know about that. I got some credit problems, you know, some things on back order, you know. You, you got a pool at your place, Ty? Uh, yeah, yeah, a pool, uh, a pond, freshwater pond, saltwater pond would be good for you. Yeah, pool or pond. You know, hey, listen, you've been acting psychotic lately. What the hell? Um, I could do that all day long. You know, if you ever just want cannonball coming, cannonball, if you ever just want to get weird with someone or rap, you know, buddies for life. Oh, okay, Carl, thanks. I'm just going to play through here. God, I love that movie. So it really meant something to me growing up, too, because we were a working class family. We were not the millionaires and the billionaires. We were the white working class. And, uh, I refuse to acknowledge that Bernie announced he's running today. I will not let that ruin my day. But welcome to two more years of utter insanity of male harassment towards me on the internet. God damn it. Anyway, so the movie means something to me because I grew up working class. Other kids in my town were very rich. My parents' house, they didn't purchase themselves. It came with my dad's job. That's how we could afford to live in a rich town. I was really an outsider in a lot of ways. You could tell by my clothes. You know, my clothes were really adorbs, but when you're near rich kids who just wear brand names. And literally, that was the fashion back in the 80s. It wasn't even just like, this is a Benetton shirt. The shirt would just say Benetton on it. Like, no, absolutely no style. I was not even jealous of their clothes. I had cool clothes. But I just knew these, these kids are dicks. Like, they're just rich dicks. Like, John Hughes movie, straight up. Like, they're living in a John Hughes movie. I'm living in Caddyshack. I was never prouder to be a slob versus their snob, right? Heartbreaking that my dad ends up voting for the guy that owns the golf course. I can't even. Anyway, so, but, you know, the white working class will get fooled sometimes by populists such as Trump and Bernie Sanders. Two sides, same coin. Oh my God, she said it. So anyway, I know Bill Murray doesn't give a fuck about this. Trust me, I'm a nicer person than him and people come up to me and tell me their life stories and I, God bless you, I care in the moment and then I forget and I, it's not that black and white, I'm not that terrible, but it's just a lot of people come up to you, especially for me after a show, I stand there, they come up to you. It's not like I have hundreds of people coming up to me a day, but after a show, that might happen. So just to protect yourself a little bit, to like not take in everyone's energy, you do have to kind of shut down a little bit. I'm not a paid therapist. I can't sit there and listen to every person's family death or depression issues. Like you do have to put up a little bit of a thing and you do have to be, you know, there is, there are crazy people. If you're a little nice, sometimes people can take too much and it gets weird. Now, I was at, a Golden Globes party, not like in someone's living room. I was at the CAA, my agency party. You cannot get into this thing unless you are uh, somehow to do with something that was nominated for the Globes and you're with the CAA agency. Like it's very 
there's a lot of hoops that you have to fit through to be invited to this party. I'm a client of that agency and I haven't been to that party in years that I'm not working on something that was nominated. So you can kind of, as a famous person there, again, not me, but the, you know, Glenn Close was there, Anne Hathaway, Jeff Bridges, Julianne Moore, Sasha, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, John Hamm, like all these people are there. It's, very safe space for them because they're amongst professionals in the business. Nobody is going to take up too much of their time or be a weirdo. So I see Bill Murray and somebody said to me, the party doesn't get started till Bill Murray comes and drunkenly dances. So I'm sitting there or standing there talking to someone. The DJ started playing music. Not one person's dancing. Bill Murray just comes in and it's kind of a sight to behold. Again, I get it. There's been some bad stuff in his life. I don't know about it. Whatever. Again, as a kid, this is a big deal to me. My inner kid is now standing there. He just sort of saunters in, in his tux, goes up to the DJ and just stares at him. He's this close to him. I don't think the DJ knows who this is. Uh, They have a, a word. Bill starts dancing. He's with a woman. I can't tell if she's younger than me but she's way younger than him. They're dancing. They're doing their thing. I I can't explain it. It felt like if I didn't say something to him, the karma of my family would be destroyed. Like what if my dad fell down and hit his head again like he did three years ago and we didn't know if he was going to make it like we did three years ago and I never tell him I met Bill Murray. I mean, None of that makes any sense. I wasn't getting an autograph. I wasn't getting a selfie. There was no reason to do this, but there was just something that was like, just just put it in the universe to him, this thing. Now, again, most people, like when people, I used to get really mad when people only knew me from Chelsea lately. Now I totally celebrate that show. I know that he doesn't get mad when people talk about Caddyshack to him because he's a golfer and he loved that movie and he still does a lot of things that are under that banner and I know people who know him and he doesn't mind it. So I knew it was okay to bring it up. It's not like you're going up to Macaulay Culkin and being like, let's talk about Home Alone, the thing that your parents stole all your money on and caused you a lot of trauma and now you're a weirdo living in Paris and who knows what you're up to with your terrible Velvet Underground pizza cover band. I can see why he doesn't want to talk about the thing that's like, yeah. And then I never really worked again. Not really sure if it was my choice or something else, but I get it. What I did was completely uncool. Not because it bothered him so much as that I felt so stupid after. It actually made me feel ashamed. And then I started taking it to so many levels of, I'm a loser. I'm barely in this business. What am I fucking doing? So I went up to him. He walked right by me. It was just like this, seriously, this close. He was just, I mean, not looking at me, not trying to walk by me. He just walked right by me. I went, hey. And he kind of turned around. I said, this will take three seconds. I know you don't care. My dad is a golf course superintendent. He looked just like you in Caddyshack. I grew up on that movie. My parents showed it to me when I was eight. We watch it every year at Christmas. We just did. So just thank you for 
all you've given us. <laughs> That's all I said. I didn't say I'm a comedian or I didn't do any of that. And he just raised his glass and walked away. Now, I know it seemed like, That's cool, Jen. And he wasn't really talking to anyone else. And I, I didn't expect anything from him. But I maybe just wanted a, oh, that's nice. That's all, just some recognition of like, she's killing herself right now and she has to finish the sentence. Like I halfway through was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. I don't know. I guess it was fine. And somebody was like, Jen, he's wasted. Like he probably couldn't even speak. Like, and also maybe he, that's all he's going to do. But, you know, it's like, it's Bill Murray. He's crashing weddings. He's making speeches. I'm like, he does that to total strangers. I just felt bad about myself. And then I was like, oh, my God, if I were, like, where I wanted to be in my career after 22 years, he would know me. We'd be in the same movies doing the same. I just felt like you're such a fucking loser. Barely invited to this party on a string. You're the writer on a show that got nominated. Barely, you're barely in this bit. You know, I was beating myself up, beating myself up. It really was not worth it. I felt so shitty after, so embarrassed. It was just, yeah, I just kept going, oh, I don't know. But again, he's a bad example because I don't think he wasn't talking to anybody. I don't think anybody could have gotten through and had a conversation with him. And again, I did not expect to have a conversation with him. I'm not that naive. Oh, God, no, did I not expect that. I I guess I expected that it would feel good to say that and he might smile. What am I, a construction worker demanding you smile? It was just a bad idea. Listen, you know what? It was a bad idea, but there was some kind of energy. That's what it is. It's like, it feels like an intoxication. Well, there literally was maybe a couple glasses of champagne, but that different kind of intoxication when you're actually in the room with someone that meant so much to you as a kid, it's beyond anything about like, I stood right next to Jeff Bridges and Glenn Close. Did I love her in The Wife? You bet I did. Did I feel any energy about her being next to me as she talked to someone? No. Because it's not in my DNA from childhood. Like that movie made me feel normal. It made me feel cool. It made me feel okay. It made me want to be a funny person. I didn't know exactly what jobs you could have. But it made me want to, you know, because people always ask me, oh, did you know you want to be a comedian when you were a kid? I'm like, No, because I didn't think about the future. Like when I grow up, I want to be, I thought right now I want to be, like I wanted to be Clara in the Nutcracker. I wanted to be a kid on a sitcom. And when I saw adults doing shit, I was like, I couldn't even think when I'm older, I'll blank. I thought, I'm so sad that right now I can't be that cool adult doing this cool scene. So something was wrong with me clearly, but it's in my DNA and it was just, I sort of let down my inner child. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to carry her around inside of me and protect, protect her from the foolishness of the world. And I gave her some goddamn foolishness. And then with her lack of understanding how the world works, I let her run the show in my heart on the way home. And she was like, why aren't we more successful? And I listened to her and I was like, you're right. We're not. Everything's terrible. But anyway, so I really wish I got spiritually what I wanted out of that moment, but I didn't. But hey, it's a good story for this. And now you know that I'm a human being. So, okay. Um, I have a story about... My podcast is an hour long, so I have 10 minutes left. I have a... uh, I have a listener email, actually, that I have to read. Um... 
Okay, so I, ha- I have a story back from when I went to back to New York this year for Christmas a couple months ago. I signed up for an ice skating lesson, and I didn't do it. But I mean, I walked out one second before the lesson, so I never told the story on the podcast. So I sign up. They have the Bank of America Village in Bryant Park. And yes, it looks really tacky with signs that say Bank of America Village, but it's all of these kiosks where people are selling their things. There's hot chocolate. You get your roasted marshmallows. There's Christmas music. There's a giant ice skating rink that they put there. You know, it's it's not real ice on a pond. It's man-made and, and the giant Christmas tree. And it's very Christmassy and I love it and I can't get enough. So I want to ice skate. But I, it's been so long and I don't know how. And it is one of those things where there's people just whipping around and it's full of teenagers and I don't want anyone to knock me over and I have neck arthritis. So they, they let you take lessons. Now, I should have taken lessons at Rockefeller Center. I feel like that would have been more adult. This place is more rinky-dink. So I sign up for the lesson. They don't tell you what the name of the teacher is. They just say, show up 10 minutes before you have a reservation. So I go up to the window I say, hi, I have a skating reservation. I mean, these teenagers couldn't give a fuck. They're like, who's the teacher? I go, oh, I don't know. It didn't tell me. What didn't tell you? The email I got. Mm. And then they go to like figure out something, but you have no idea if they've just lost interest and walked away from the window. (laughs) They don't go, hang on, let me find out. They just go, "Mm," and then just walk away. And I was like, is there... I'm old. I don't understand social cues from your generation. In my day, we had to say, hang on, ma'am. I'll be right back. So she walks away. And then she comes back. Just go in there. I'm like, where? She's like, there. So she points, and I don't know where she's saying, so I have to start the whole thing over. I, I just walk away acting like I know what she's talking about. And I, I go somewhere else and go, I have a lesson. And they go, do you have skates? I go, no, I'm taking a le- If I'm taking an ice skating lesson, do you think I have my own skates? I mean, maybe. But I would think that would be a big commitment. Like, let me buy skates before my lesson. You know, what if you don't like it? Also, I'm a grown-up. I, I don't know. I just, no, I, I don't skate. I'm taking a lesson. Like, it's just a fun thing to do for an hour. And they looked at me like, I don't know what kind of fucking pre-menopause life as a widow that you're living. But so she's like, well, you need skates. I'm like, well, can I rent them here? She's like, yeah, but it's $10. And I'm like, oh, they're so young that they think, $10 is going to scare me off. And I was like, I have $10. Like, I'm not trying to brag. I'm, it's just that I'm in my 40s. And when you've worked for 24 years, you will have $10 to spare sometimes. So I said, yeah, I have $10. Well, if you want to do that, rent them over there. They're just like, she is so disappointed in my life choice to rent rather than own a pair. You want to fucking throw 10 bucks away? So I go over and I rent my skates. And you have to check your bag and you have to give them everything. And I said, but if I give you my shoes, how will I walk from here all the way through this down to the rink? She goes, on your skates. Oh, no, low battery. And I go, and she goes, on your skates. And I go, but I can't, I can't walk on skates. That's why I'm taking a lesson. Like I can't even walk on skates. She's like, the floor's rubber. I'm like, no, I know, but I'm afraid someone's going to push me and my ankles. I'm going to sprain my ankles. So I'm already like, okay. So I said, I'm not going to check my shoes. I'm going to take them with me. 
thinking, once I get to the lesson, the teacher will let me put my shoes on the ice or something. I don't know what I'm thinking. So I take the skates. I'm walking in my shoes. I go to the next thing. I say, I have a lesson. And she goes, who's your teacher? I go, I don't know. Nobody told me the name of my teacher. But it's in five minutes, and this seems to be where the lessons line, you know, it said lessons here. And then you walk out onto the ice. And she goes, well, I guess your teacher's coming in a minute. And she goes, you have a kid with you? I go, no, I'm the lesson. She goes, you're the lesson? I go, yeah. She goes, oh. And then I look around, and it's all these children, like five and under, and they have these big penguins with um, poles sticking out of their ears. Like, like it's that height, and you, you skate around on that, and that's what the lesson is going to be. And I'm like, I'm down. I'll do that. I'll push a penguin. I'm excited. But – I realized it was for children. She's like, I mean, adults can do it, but adults usually just sort of skate. I'm like, yeah, I know I know what adults normally do, but I'm afraid to ice skate. And then I realized this is so stupid. I'm going to be in a class where a grown adult is going to have to skate next to me while I'm pushing a penguin. And there's still going to be teenagers whipping around. And I just said, I have to uh, get something out of my bag. I'll be right back. And she smiled at me like, I know what you're doing. And I went back to the place where I checked my bag and I kept trying to wait so that someone new who didn't just check my bag would take, take my ticket and no one would come over. And the girl comes back and she goes, didn't you just check a bag? I go, um, a while ago, I just completely lied. Like, listen, let me lie and you're going to believe me. And she's like, oh, okay. I said, yeah, a while ago, but I'm done. I'm done now. Like, I didn't even say I'm leaving the lesson. I just lied and said, I'm done now. She's like, Okay. So that's it. And uh, great. So here I am back with you guys, just you and me. So anyway, I never took the lesson. Um, so do you remember last year when, I, you probably don't remember, but I stayed in this hotel that I love last year. Uh, not the one I stayed in this year that I super love, but another hotel that I thought I loved. And then I got there and they totally weren't decorated for Christmas. And I was like, what's up with that? And they were like, I don't know, maybe people just aren't in the spirit this year. Because, you know, obviously the guy bringing my bags to my room isn't the hotelier that designs the whatever. And I said, I think that really sucks. Like, I think we need Christmas more than ever. And you're a major hotel and people come here and I think they assume that this is like a five-star hotel. Like, I, I think they assume the lobby is going to be decorated. And anyway, so I went to Whole Foods. <laughs> that was down the street. And I got myself a little, like, shrubbery thing, like a little Christmas tree. I mean, I knew my room wasn't going to be decorated, but I figured my room doesn't have to be decorated if the lobby is going to be all pretty. And it just wasn't. They had this weird wreath that wasn't even a Christmas wreath. It was, like, pears and red leaves, you know, not even red Christmas leaves, but more of a Thanksgiving wreath. And they had this amazing jazz band that was playing every night during like their wine hour, but it just had a sadness to it without the Christmas tree. And they were singing Christmas carols with no fucking tree. So anyway, and I bought a little fir tree candle to burn in my room and stuff like that. So I read this year, I got an email from the hotel. They're like, we have a new thing. We're partnered with Bling and Blong's Christmas tree shop down the street. You can pre-order a Christmas tree for your room. And they bring it into your room and set it up and you can have it decorated. They're like, if you're staying with us over the holidays, I'm like, that's amazing. And I really think that it was because I complained last year, but I'm not sure. But I really would like the credit. Anyway. So. 
No, I don't want to share the video. Um, okay, so what was I saying? So I think I'll go a little long on this episode. And <clears throat> this is from one of my favorite listeners, Jay Argent. He said, Jen, I have a real advice question. It's not for the cast, though. Sorry, live, laugh, love. I think he's saying, don't you guys answer him. It's not so much a question about what to do, but I could use some professional insight. And no, I'm not going to a therapist. And no, I'm not planning on getting one anytime soon. I had therapy for a while, but I'm a little over it now. It never seemed to do much for me, and I never quite had the aha moments and feelings of progression. Anyways, I've been in a weird mood I haven't quite had before, not particularly depressive, but also not anything particularly related to life events. It feels like something is missing and everything around me is a puzzle I need to figure out. Usually I'm beaming with confidence and all that, but lately I've been somewhat unsatisfied with my appearance, style, situation. Uh, Sort of everything has just gone down a notch. Nothing drastically, but everything just seems a little less rosy than I have always seen it. Usually I ride out ups and downs and recognize those times, but this feel like it's neither. Like I'm suddenly a stranger to myself. What the heck do you think of this? Well, it could be a depression and I'm not saying you need to go to therapy or take meds, but it could just be labeled as a depression. And sometimes we can get out of these things. But somehow some negative thinking and some negative self-talk was running again, unconscious to you like a CNN news crawl under your subconscious and it eventually won out and it changed the chemistry of your brain. So right now you're in a little bit of a slump. And you can rechange it. But you have to take contrary action that feels really lame and cheesy. And if you don't want to, that's fine. But probably not much will change until something exciting happens that you can get high off of. But it won't actually be true progress. So my uh, doctor who prescribes medication, when I've said, I don't think I, I don't really feel like I have depression anymore. He's like, if you are feeling just like you described If you feel like that for four to six weeks, you are in a depression. Whether you have depression or you're clinically diagnosed as this, that, at that point after four to six weeks, that's what it is. Something has changed. And so um, it sounds like maybe a little spiritual existential crisis. I know like not everyone wants to meditate or whatever, but is there something, again, it's that sense of like we control everything. And for me, and I'm a really stubborn person, I used to be a very angry person, I used to be a very self-seeking person, I, as RuPaul says, I get down on my knees and I pray to God every day and I don't even believe in God and I don't even know if there's a God, but I have to humble myself before something. So in what ways in your life are you not humbling yourself? Does that make sense? In what ways do you still think you control everything? In what ways do you, are you able to say, hey, Hey, shitty feeling. I welcome you to stay right now and teach me what I need. Like you're about to go next level. I always say when something bad happens, the universe is complimenting me and going, hey, you couldn't have handled this shitty feeling maybe five years ago or this shitty news about what your arch nemesis is up to. But you can now. It's going to hurt. But you're ready to go next level and come out the other side. So I have a feeling that it's a simple change of brain chemistry. So, I mean, literally, is it as stupid as getting up an hour earlier? Whatever. It's an existential crisis. I would read some books that are, you know, I love books about Buddhism because it's not woo-woo, frou-frou. It's just like, yeah, there's suffering. Shit sucks. You know? Um, 
there's a book I love called Why Buddhism, Buddhism is True, and it's written by, I think the guy's a psychiatrist as well, but it's, it's not even like, it's just, re- it's not even reading about yourself or thinking about yourself. Maybe you need to get out of yourself, if that makes sense. I mean, helping someone else, volunteering. I know this all sounds annoying, but it all comes down to the basic thing of getting out of self. I mean, the easy version is like, get a fucking makeover, you know, something like that. Because this can also lead to our physical appearance lacking and slacking. And then that makes us feel shitty. And sometimes it takes a little bit of that first before we can go within. I I don't know. But it just sounds like just I'm recognizing that something was probably going on underneath. And your chemistry caught up to it. And now you're like literally actually just depressed in the literal definition. Like you are just, you know. Also, don't put it past the stress of the world right now. Like, it's go- it's affecting all of us. Anyway, and the sort of advice-ish question related to that, oh, that wasn't even, I already gave advice, is that I've been thinking about reaching out to a friend from school I haven't seen or talked to in 13 years. We had a pretty intense and weird friendship, nothing romantic, which was confusing for people around us because he was a few years older and spent a lot of time with me during his personal problems, including periods of family, legal insanity that pretty much left him homeless. It was quite odd to see me, the goofy quasi-goth art class freshman, suddenly join the high school senior in crowd. Oh, that happened to me too. I didn't join it, but one of them came to my side of things. And I was like, dude, I, I can hang out with you, but I don't really have anything in common with you. But this guy wanted to, um, <clears throat> I know he wanted to like be my friend and See what my side was like. Anyways, we stayed friends through me finishing high school, and shortly after, we even did some traveling together, and suddenly a year or so after that, everything stopped. And this was early social media days when all the kids were starting to get MySpace pages, so it wasn't for any lack of, it wasn't for a lack of any connection. We never argued or had a disagreement. I stupidly find myself being apprehensive about making contact and having to eat my words about my own telling people to act more direct and confidently. Oh, well, I mean, we all say things that we don't do. Don't beat yourself up. Like I said, it wasn't romantic, but I probably did have a crush in the way girls get crushes on girls they want to emulate. Thinking this is related to some past feeling or something that I can't handle. Like I said, I never feel like this, and it's completely bizarre for me to have apprehension. Or maybe I'm just getting old finally. Well, maybe your apprehension is that you know he's not an entirely healthy person, and you actually now, without the blinders of the crush even if it was just a girl, you know, a little crush that you didn't want it to go anywhere. Maybe you know that there's just nothing for you guys. Like there is no reason to be in touch. It sounds like he had a lot of problems. Maybe you're apprehensive because you don't know why you're reaching out. And maybe you're, you're actually really more smart and mature and psychologically savvy than you think. Like you know that reaching out could be like me going up to Bill Murray. Like it could just leave you feeling cold and it was something deeper inside of you that needed something that's going to need something in this moment. And if this guy responds or doesn't respond, either way, it just might not feel like how you thought. And then you're going to have to be like, fuck, well, that didn't work. Now what? I'm stuck with myself. So maybe it's something along there, but it, it just sounds like it's, you don't feel like it. A lot of times what I might do in this situation is I might write the email but not send it. Like don't even put it in an email. Like put it on a Word document or notes in your phone. Just write it as though you sent it to him. Like dear Lance, whatever his name is, write the whole thing out, sign your name, and don't look at it for two days and sleep on it. And this is where I think you can humble yourself. See, it's all coming together. Sleep on it and just say, hey, higher self, hey, intuition. 
tell me what I'm supposed to do about contacting this this person and tell me why I'm feeling weird and I'll I'll take my call off air. Thanks. You know, like sleep on it truly and see how you feel in the morning and just get quiet for like 60 seconds. I mean, truly when people are like, I don't know how to meditate. If you sat for 60 seconds and did nothing and right before you did the nothing thought about like, I wish I had an answer to blank, your feelings will come up so fucking fast and you will realize how we never even take 60 fucking seconds sometimes. Like it's all it takes sometimes to get a real gut feeling about something. So that's my advice. Um, really, really quickly. Lastly, we got an email from the listeners. Remember, I gave advice last week to the girl who wanted to ask out the girl in the diner. She thinks she might be gay. Isn't quite sure. <clears throat> Deb says, Jen, just a quick reply to the new maybe lesbian. Don't complicate things. Go back to the diner, and if she's there again, simply ask her if she'd like to go for coffee or a smoothie sometime. If she's interested, she'll say yes. If not, she'll most likely politely decline. Just be yourself and don't make it a big deal. Asking people out can be totally normal if you don't make it weird. Um, this one is from a gay person. I don't know if it's a man or woman. I guess it doesn't matter, but here's what this person says. Hi, I was listening to the podcast and would like to take a stab at responding to the maybe. And that is my term for a questioning lady uh, with sapphic possibilities. Sapphic? Sapphic? I don't know that word. Oh, God, I'm so out of touch. Dear maybe, and one, you're a college student. This is the time to experiment with absolutely everything. You are the Q in the LGBTQ, and that is fine for now. Two, there are endless digital ways to connect with gay or questioning ladies, dating sites, hookup sites, gay bars, meetup clubs, <clears throat> fish from those ponds. Take it from a gay lady, okay, it's a lady, that has had one tragic crush after another on straight women. You guys have the internet. That didn't exist at one point. You have a world of possibilities there that ensure a higher probability of a mutual attraction. Number three is more of a question for you. <coughs> God, sorry. Why would you tell people you are into girls if you haven't experienced dating girls yet? Why not have that experience first and then proclaim it? I can't help but feel a little annoyed <laughs> at younger generations' tendency to use bi or gay assignations because it's hip to do that. Oh, I don't think she's doing that. I think, I think she. It's like I'm straight, and I, I declared I was into guys before I had been with a guy. You know, um, I think you just kind of know. Sometimes you have a feeling. It wasn't cute when I realized I was gay. No one wore. A f okay, this woman is upset. <laughs> I'm gonna stop reading. Um. But, oh, and about the waitress, I have been you so many times. The flood of endorphins when a gorgeous woman talks to you, it's all wonderful. But trust me, the wires can get crossed. It is her actual job to sell you food and try to make your experience pleasurable. She is most likely doing this with all her tables. I don't mean to burn you out, but your prob's barking up the wrong tree by pursuing her. Make your foray into testing the lady love waters a good one and stick to looking in places where they are looking for you too. I hope this was helpful. I learned this all the hard way. Oi! Jesse. That's right. That's how we learn in life, everybody. The hard way. Until next week, have fun.